1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I think that I survived and, and, and went through all that so I could tell people face to face that, um, that God never leaves us. We're never forsaken. And no matter how badly we've been knocked down, we don't have to be knocked out. And uh, I'm not the person I used to be. Uh, not that healthy 38-year-old preacher on my way to church to lead a Bible study. I'm not that person. I've got scars to show for it. But it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with it. And so um, I want people to understand that I think I came back is so I could tell people heaven is real and Jesus is the way. And I think that I survived this and, and, and overcame this and I'm still here is so that I can help people understand what it is to hold another one's hand and say, I know how you feel. All I ever asked God for in that hospital bed was, can't you send somebody here who understands what this is like? If I could just talk to another person who understands what this is like, I think I could get through it. And uh, one morning at 3 a.m. in St. Luke's Hospital in Houston, he spoke to me through some music and he said, this is not about you. This is about me. And what I can do now through you that I can never do before the truck hits you. You need to turn your test into a testimony. You need to take your pain and find the purpose for it. And that purpose is to hold other people's hands. Instead of begging me to send somebody who holds your hand, is to hold their hands and say, I understand how you feel. Together, we'll get through this because I know how you feel. And I think we can all do that. I, I, I think that if, if, if somebody's lost their husband, I think it's incumbent upon them to put their arm around somebody else who's lost their husband and say, I understand how you feel. And, and even though it's painful and difficult for me, I'm going to help you get through this because I know how you feel. And that's all we really ever want is somebody who gets it. There's a lot of people who are nice to us. They even say nice things. They are probably praying for us. But I want somebody with flesh and bones on them that gets it. Jesus gets it. He suffered more than we could ever suffer. And so I clung to that hope and also clung to the hope that may, while I wasn't the same person I ever was before, I didn't have to be bitter. I could be better. you are just joining us, uh, this is the last week, and uh, let me catch you up just for 30 seconds here. What we've been exploring is a phenomenon known as a near-death experience, and uh, over, across the globe there are thousands of people, one in 25 people, 
uh, have experienced something like this, and uh, the book that we are using is called Imagine Heaven, and what the book does is it goes out and takes these experiences that these people have had, and it applies it, it overlays it to Scripture, and it says, what, what do we learn? Are there some similarities? And uh, the results are astoundingly compelling, and that's what we've been marching through in six weeks. And so, um, we've learned some amazing things. Um, most of us know a whole lot more about heaven than we did when we began. Um, so, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your bulletin out, and even if you're not a note taker, I want you to fill in this one line today. And the one line is right at the top, and it's this. One thing that I've learned from the Imagine Heaven series. One truth I've learned during the Imagine Heaven series. While you think about that, and while you write that down, I'm going to kind of recap some of the highlights that we've been over. Uh, We've learned that near-death experiences give us enough evidence that it is reasonable to conclude that there's a life after this one. Lots of scientific uh, articles in scientific journals have been written. Lots of things we've talked about that are evidences that cannot happen unless something is going on in these people after this body is done. And uh, uh, so we've learned that there's evidence. Uh, We learned that there's cool stuff about heaven, about what it might be, and we got past the harps and the clouds a little bit. Uh, and we learned about all of the great things about heaven, the, the actual walls and buildings and streets and, and people and animals and music. And it, and it actually, after we got done exploring what it's really going to be like, it sounds like a place we want to go to, okay? Um, and so we're looking forward to it now. We learned that uh, near-death experiencers meet a being of light who uh, a lot of them describe with a beard, with shoulder-length hair. They Uh, talk about him having hands and feet with nail scars in them. They talk about him being light and love, and this being of light begins to look an awful lot like Jesus of the Scriptures. And again, even blind people who have never seen before in in their existence all of a sudden can see this man, and then he acts in the way that, they ex- that we would expect Jesus to act. He's an unconditional, overwhelmingly loving person. Uh, they experience so much love that it's, it's something they've never before felt and have never felt since. It's that kind of love. We learned last week, and we talked about this, that not all near-death experiences are positive. A good, significant portion of them are actually negative. They are Uh, hellish, some people would say. People have experienced utter darkness and hopelessness, and um, in that place, uh, some of them were able to call out to Jesus, and He came and saved them. And so, that's what they say. And it's not just one person. It's story after story after story. And a lot of those people have a ton to lose when they come back to this life. And all of a sudden, they're different people. And the the loved ones around them don't understand who this person is, and they lose a lot, and yet they don't change their story. It changes them. We learned that we have uh, people waiting on us in heaven, and that is great news. People that we miss in this life that will be whole and healthy, maybe in a, such a way that we have never before seen them on this earth, but there they will be healed, and we will too. 
Uh, all of our fingers will be restored. All of our teeth will be restored. All of our hair will be restored. Uh, children that have died will be alive. People who have been wrecked here on earth, either physically or emotionally, there will be the person that they were always created to be. They will be free of infirmity and disease and brokenness. They will be in their right body and in their right mind. Now, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, and again, if you're just uh, joining us, we'd like you to catch up a little bit. And so if you'll go to cccfortscott.com uh, slash messages, you can catch up with our series and um, we also have this to grab on your way out. This is our weekly discussion guide. We've been doing this every week, so make sure you grab a yellow sheet. That's, that's today's discussion. And then you can grab uh, maybe your running partner, maybe your family, maybe your small group, maybe just a friend or some coworkers, and you can sit down this week and say, hey, let's dig in a little bit more about what we heard this week. So pick up a yellow sheet. And so we have learn some amazing things, and they help us to navigate today. And so what is it that you wrote down? Um, the question today is that question brings up another question, and it is, so what? That's the, so what? Who cares? What difference does that line that you just wrote down, what difference does it make Today, there are lots of things that are true in life, but they make no difference to me today at all. Do you know hippos make their own sunscreen? Good for the hippo. I don't care, right? Do you know if you're in space and you touch two pieces of metal because of the lack of oxygen, they cold fuse together. You, you, they, it's like you've welded them together. I didn't know that. That's not going to make any difference in my life today unless I go to space this afternoon, which is highly improbable, right? So it's a truth, but it doesn't make any difference to me. Do you know that 8,000 Americans every year are injured by musical instruments? Do you know why that's true? It's because they're all so sharp. Oh, there are three band geeks that got that, okay? But with all of the sax and violins up here, you can expect some treble. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, more of you are catching on. You can know a bunch of truth, and it can make no difference in your life. And that's what we want to avoid today. Maybe the truth that you wrote down is something along this line. I, I believe that now heaven is going to be a great place to go, and I'm looking forward to heaven. Maybe the truth that you wrote down is that this being of light is Jesus, and he loves me no matter what. Maybe the truth that you wrote down that you learned is there really is a place of separation called hell for people who don't want God in their life. And now you can believe all of those truths, and yet it not make a bit of difference in your life today. And so the great question that we all have to ask is, first, what is the truth? And that's what we've covered for six weeks. That's what we've tried to lay out in front of you. What is the truth? But the greatest question is this, what will I do with the truth? Will I apply it to my life so that it makes a difference today? The fact is that indie ears are bombed with truth 
their truth of an afterlife, truth about their bodies, new truths about their senses, new truths about time itself, about the beauty of heaven, about the secrets of the universe, about loved ones who are waiting on them, about a being of light who is full of love and how they lived life and what's really important on this, life, uh, this earth as they live life. They know those truths after they have these experiences, but just knowing the truth, that's only the first step. The applying of the truth is what makes a difference. I want you to listen uh, uh, to Dr. Tracy Goza. She's, she did her PhD in, in NDEs, and uh, she talks about these people facing interesting challenges when they come back to this life. I want you to listen uh, to what she's learned from talking about to so many people. What's really cool is Tracy did her PhD under one of the leading researchers in near-death experiences. Yes. And so talk about in your research, you know, I know one of the things as a, as a psychotherapist that you're very interested in mm-hmm. are the after effects. You know, sometimes people talk about how, well, aren't these just hallucinations or the effects of a dying brain? Um, but you talk about how the after effects in a person who's had a near-death experience actually validates it. Right. It's so different than in some sort of drug trip or hallucination. Those things are often um, fantastical and they make you feel really good, but they don't often carry with them some sort of moral point or some sort of moral change in the person that they might want to come back and live out as these happen to people, the near-death experiences do. So um, somebody who's had a near-death experience, it's completely different. They're a completely different soul after they come back. Um, so what, so are, what are some of the after effects that you've seen So in we've seen research? a whole range of things. Sometimes it's easy for people to come back and sort of assimilate what happened to them and, and live it out with love um, and generosity toward people. But sometimes uh, people that may have sought a job that was more money-seeking or, or power or prestige, they become more philanthropic and they start giving and they want to just reach out to people. It can cause such a drastic change in the whole person. So spouses may not recognize their spouse afterward. I mean, physically they will, but they're so soul has changed yeah. in their whole person. So, I mean, it's caused divorces before. It's really hard for people to really kind of put all the pieces together and move forward. Um, it's hard for others to kind of accept that too for them. Yeah. So, I mean, we, would, we would think, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could all have an experience? I know. Like it that? seems but, like such a gift. But many come back and they're, they're depressed mm-hmm. because this seems less real, right. but also they realize the, the important things to live for. But it, like you said, I mean, we interviewed uh, Dr. Howard Storm, remember the college professor who was an atheist before this experience, and he came back and ended up becoming a pastor. His wife was not happy right, about that. Right, that shift and, was not a, like an overnight shift. Yeah. It was painful for everyone involved. Yeah. So it's not uncommon. Well, and so, so you talk about in your, in your book about how the after effects actually mm-hmm. point to something valid uh, because, because there is such a change in people. You also talk about how it's important, especially as churches, that when people have an experience, a near-death experience, um, how we treat them. Why is that? Right. Well, they're not crazy. And I, I think a lot of people think, oh, I experienced God in, in a way. So I'm going to go to church and I'm going to try to find God there. But sometimes when they get there, they may have found a congregation that's really more rigid and maybe more um, religious than um, open and accepting of, of hearing other spiritual kind of experiences that people are able to have. So I think it's really important that you know, we kind of encourage people to come in and, and I've, I've heard from people that it's hard for them to find a church home because it seems like there's a right thing to wear and a right thing to say and a right way to read the Bible and a right way to, or they'll say, oh, you know, they didn't see God in their experience or how do we know that was Jesus? Well, 
um, the experiencer knows what they saw and they know how they felt about it. So if, if we're just careful about bringing them in and asking the right questions to draw them out, um, we can be a safe place for people seeking spiritual matters. Well, and you talk about how that, you know, many people, people who have these experiences, they are seeking God and churches can either be places that just kind of push them away or help mm-hmm. steer them to understand how the scriptures actually integrate with what they these NDEs are so unique to each person and there's not one right way that God shows up to people I think that's what I've seen over and over in my studies Um, but we can all um, be very accepting of okay tell me your story and and tell me about that out-of-body experience I mean don't I I I want us to not be afraid of such strange sounding terms because they're really events that happen and so Christians need to know about these terms and they need to know what they are to help draw people out and talk about it and then we can say hey let's dig around in this bible right here and how do you think that god was showing himself to you even if it was a distressing experience or hellish what do you think god might be trying to say in a very non-judgmental way tell me about that let me walk through this with you let's see if we can't help you figure out what god was life again this was not final death so you get more of a chance to live in the way that he might like for you to yeah so there's hope no matter there's so much hope well and and you talk about how the life review which we're going to kind of focus on today Mm -hmm. is really one of those pivotal things that people experience talk about what what is that they see their whole life that i mean it's i'm not sure exactly what the percentages of people that have the life review but they will see a whole um the whole thing maybe almost like they're watching a movie their whole life play out everything they've done or said to someone and they feel the impact of how it um, how it affected the other person. So they may um, just feel really terrible about something they did or said, but they see everything. There's nothing spared. And the, the light they often are standing with is just so all-encompassing, um, just the love and the, the light that's there, which we believe is Jesus, is just non-judgmental. And, and basically, they feel that judgment, but then they also feel that sense of, um, we can do better with this, and you get another chance. So mm-hmm. there's grace. That's what, what the Bible talks about. That they that actually grace. experience a sense of grace, even in... Right, that I get a chance to come back. Some people get to choose to come back, and, and they get to try again and be more loving. And, but it's not a love that you just manifest yourself, like, like workspace love. I'm just going to love, love, love. It's a love that flows from God, and it's a love that flows through Jesus. Yeah. So, Well, I, I want to encourage you to check this book out, I Heart Heaven. It's out on Amazon, Dr. Tracy Goza. And uh, it's, it's just one more strand of seeing how the scriptures tie together mm-hmm. with these experiences that 1 in 25 people have had right right. one in 25 means that's super common i've been doing uh since i read the book last summer just an informal just you know uh jotting down of people who have come up to me just because of conversations or maybe i'm speaking at somewhere somewhere and i mentioned the book and um these are not people that are scattered across the country. These are people right here in Fort Scott. And I have come up with a list of about 20 people now since last summer that have, have said to me, I have either had an experience like this or I know somebody who had an experience like this. And so because it's so common, we need to be prepared as Christians, as church people, How to steer people who have these kind of experiences. Maybe they're coming way out of left field. Maybe they have no idea who Jesus is, and yet they see this being of light. How can we best steer them to Jesus? How can we create a safe place for them to seek what this means for them? How can we point them to Scripture? 
How can we say, what was God showing you? What do you? Why do you think God gave you this experience? And what can we all learn from this together? And what does Scripture have to say? How can we create that place? And as we seek together, we'll be able to get to that greatest question, which is, what do we do with the truth? There's the truth, and then there's what we will do with the truth. And so the more, most important truth that indie ears consistently come back with comes by way of this life review that uh, was referred to in the video. The life reviews uh, differ in some specifics, but in general, they're all alike. And, and a life review happens this way, that scenes from a person's life are played out in front of them and judgments are made about motives, about their thoughts, about their actions, and the judgments are made in the presence of this being of light who is total, overwhelming, unconditional love. And so there's this sense of, yeah, I could have done that better, but all the while being, uh, one, one guy will say it this way, held by Jesus, overwhelmed in his love. And these life reviews become pivot points for the people who have had these experiences. They redirect them when they come back to this life to what true success really looks like and what a true win really is. It clarifies for them what really matters in this life. I want you to listen to Dr. Mary Neal and Howard Storm as they describe their life review. Howard, tell us about this life review that you had. There was a number of angels, I call them angels, who had been recording my entire life, all my life, and Jesus wanted them to play out in chronological order the scenes of my life. And the entire emphasis was on my interaction with other people, of course, initially starting out with my mother and father and my sisters and then, you know, school and friends and um, so you just you saw it, or you we saw it, experienced we felt it. it, we experienced it. It was really interesting because it was um, the whole emphasis was on people and not on things. Matter of fact, there were some instances where um, I had uh, won promotions, honors, awards, and they skipped them. And Jesus, I said to Jesus, uh, "You're skipping the most important thing in my life. This is what I live for to get this award, Kentucky Artist of the Year." big banquet in my honor and a big cash prize and everything. And uh, he said, that's not what we're here for you to see. That's not important. What I want you to see is how you treated the students. So what I learned in my life review was that um, the um, relationship with my father, I had participated in the breakdown of that relationship as much as he did. He was not a good father to me, and I resented it, and I was angry at him, so I did everything I could subconsciously and sometimes consciously to be as rebellious and as cold-hearted towards him as possible, which only aggravated him more and made him more of a hostile father. So the things that I had seen in my life that where I was the victim and everybody else was the bad guy, I came to find out. Um, it was a two-way street. We were both playing this game. As my life progressed from my adolescence into my adulthood, I saw myself turning completely away from God, church, all that, and becoming um, a person who decided that life was all about um, the biggest, baddest bear in the woods wins. And now I began to experience Jesus and the angels' literal pain. What do you mean? Emotional pain 
with watching scenes in my life. And like, here's the nicest, kindest, most loving being I've ever met who I realize is my Lord, my Savior, even my Creator, holding me and supporting me, trying to um, give me more understanding of my life. And it was figuratively, not literally, like I was like stabbing him in the heart as we're watching this stuff. And the last thing I wanted to do was to hurt him. And I don't want to hurt him to this day. Uh, Jesus is a very feeling man. God is a very feeling creator. What were you seeing played out? I saw scenes where um, my sister was in bed crying, and I got up in the middle of the night and went in and put my arms around her and hugged her. And Jesus and the angels were so filled with joy that I had been willing to do that, to try and, um, you know, help her a little Comfort bit her. in her grief. But those were rare, the, uh, the scenes of my indifference. Just seeing, seeing people as objects in order to maneuver around through or, you know, to shift to further my, my goals and my ambitions. We did go through a life review, and it was nothing like I would have imagined. What, what my, was the life review like? My life was laid bare for all its good and bad. And one of the things we did was look at many, many, many events throughout my life that I would have otherwise called terrible or horrible or sad or bad or tragic. And instead of looking at an event in isolation or looking at how it impacted me and my little world, I had the most remarkable experience of seeing the ripple effects of the event when seen 25, 30, 35 times removed. We can sum up with one word. What people come back from these life reviews um, with, and that is the word love. Love. That's the secret sauce that they come back with. That is the answer to how, what do we do with the truth? That's the answer we love. It is the so what of NDEs. It's overwhelmingly love. NDEers say things like this. I've seen heaven. I felt this unconditional love. I've been through this life review. And overwhelmingly, the end result is that they come back and they want to love more. They want to love better. And we who get to witness that kind of get the hint, right? That love is the thing that matters in this life. But isn't that what we should expect from people who claim to have seen God? That's what, that's what 1 John is all about, this text. John says, how do, how do you know that you know God? How do you prove that you've seen God or you know God? The proof is that you love. And the explanation of God's program is what he puts in this text. Step one of his program is in verses 9 to 10, and step one is that God loves us. He begins, he shows love to us by giving Jesus as a propitiation for our sins. That's a, that's a long word, it's a hard word, but it's a word that pagans use to describe the process of turning anger of a, of a pagan God away from them by offering a sacrifice of some kind. And John picks up on that word and says, oh, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, and it turns God's anger away from us, his wrath away from us. And so God 
begins. And after he loves, then step two, found in verse 11, is that we love. God loves us, and then we love. We love others. We love God. We respond to and spread the love that he gives because we recognize his great love for us. And propitiation plays a part in that for us as well. Why do we not love people around us sometimes? Isn't it because we're mad or angry or filled with wrath of some sort to whatever level? We're upset for whatever reason. And if the cross can turn away God's anger towards our sin, then can't the cross also turn our anger away from the sin of other people? Absolutely. It has to. And so God loves us, and we love God and others. And step three is found in verse 12, others join in that love. John says here, no one has ever seen God, but we get to see God when we love one another. Somebody wrote it this way, we make an invisible God visible whenever we love one another. And so he loves, then we love, and then others join in and do the same, and the process starts over again, and it goes on and on and on, and that's God's plan. And it's not something that we just guess at, like, do we know whether we're really loving in God's kind of love. John writes it here. He says, here's the way you know for sure. And he lists several things. Let's go through them really quickly. He says, number one, God's love shines. It's like the sun. It's evident. You don't have to say the sun is shining. You know the sun is shining. And when people love with God's love, it's evident. Number two, God's love is other-centered. He loved so that we might live. God is always in scriptures pointing to Jesus. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Jesus in turn is always pointing back to God. Love always points to other people and draws attention to them. Number three, God's love holds nothing back. God sent his only son. Real love sacrifices the best for someone else. Number four, God's love takes chances. God didn't send Jesus to a palace. He sent Jesus into the world. And real love takes risks like that. Real love is not afraid to go where it needs to go. Number five, God's love helps others reach their goals. It's a step further than being other-oriented. It's to help others actually reach their goals, to attain what they want to attain that benefits them. It's why Jesus sent Uh, was sent for us so that we might live through him. That was the goal. We didn't want to die, right? And so God sent Jesus to help us reach our goal. Real love helps others succeed and rejoices when they do. Number six, God's love takes the initiative. God makes the first move. Real love doesn't wait for others to make the first move. It makes the first move. And then finally, God's love forgives. God loves perverted and polluted and promiscuous and problem people, and that's why Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. That's what God did for us. He forgave us because that's what love is. And this love thing is the exact that we find in Scripture first is amazingly the exact plan that was given to Howard Storm. I'll let him tell you about it in his own words. People, we all want to feel like we have a purpose, a mission, right? Yeah. 
Um, and yet, I think all of us struggle to figure out, okay, what exactly is that? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus told me to do, because I asked him that exact question. If I come back into this world, during, this is during the near-death experience, if I come back, what, what will be my purpose? And before he had a chance to answer, I said, you know, I'm an artist, I'm going to build you a huge shrine. And he said, please don't do that. And I was like, but I'm an artist, that's what I do, you know? Uh, it'll be great. It'll be crazy. It'll be wonderful. People come from all over the world. He said, I don't need it. And I said, what do you mean you don't need it? You know, there's all kinds of shrines and cathedrals built to you. And he said, yeah, well, they're not for me. They're for people. He said, mm-hmm. I have a purpose for you. And I, I said, okay, come on, you know, let's go. And he said, your purpose is to love the person that you're with. And I said, yeah, okay, great. I got that. What do you want me to do? And he said, no, th- that's it. And I said, that's it? Love the person I'm with? That's what you want me to do? And he said, that's your whole purpose. And I said, what good will that do? And he said, it'll change the whole world. And I said, yeah, if I love the person I'm with, it's going to change the world. I said, come on, there's billions of people in the world. How in the world would me loving someone change the world? And I said, you know, people that have tried to change the world have not turned out well, like Genghis Khan and Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong, and I'm I'm trying to educate Jesus about (laughs) his crazy ideas. And (laughs) you're literally having this conversation. Yeah, I'm telling you exactly what was said or thought. And And he, he left and he said, if you love the person that you're with, they'll love the person that they're with, and they'll love the person that they're with, and that'll multiply. And I said... Yeah, but what if somebody gets hit by a truck or gets sick or something? Then, then it all falls apart. And he said, you're not the only one. And I said, who else is involved in this plan? He said, well, there's millions all over the world in the love plan. And I said, yeah, but there's billions of people. It's not enough. You need more. And he said, there's billions more. And I said, who's that? And he said, the angels. Hmm. And I said, well, that might do it. And he said, there's one more. And I said, who's that? And he says, God. He said, it's God's plan. It's going to work. He said, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, it's God's plan. It will work. Just love the person that you're with. And so that's what I've been struggling with for 30 years, Mm. trying to do that. Um, It's not as easy as it sounds. Matter of fact, it's the most interesting challenge I've ever had in my life. He should have told me to become a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist because that would have been a whole lot easier. Yeah. Than what I'm trying to do, you know, it sounds so simple, but when you when you experience it, you know, you go, I got it. I'm 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 treating people in a kind and compassionate way, and I'm listening to, them, and all of a sudden, the nastiest person in the world comes walking into your life, and you hate their guts, <laughs> and you gotta love them, and, and God is saying, try this one on for size, smarty pants. Yeah. <laughs> God's plan, love the one you're with. Does that not sum up what John writes in 1 John? We always love God, right? He starts, he loves us, then we love him, and we love other people who pop up in our path, and then because we love them, they start loving other people. And I want you to look at that line that you wrote at the beginning of the sermon in the bulletin. What did you write there? And does not that plan, love the one you're with, work with whatever truth you wrote down? Isn't that the so what? 
Here's the truth. Some of you maybe wrote something like, there is an afterlife. I know that now. There is a heaven and a hell. So what? Answer, love the one you're with. Because if there's a heaven, people around you need to know that truth too. Some of you wrote that heaven's going to be a great place where I'll, where I'll see loved ones again. So what? The so what is love the one you're with. Because if they're going to be loved ones there, you want as many loved ones as possible. So love the ones you're with now. My deeds and my thoughts and my motives would create unseen ripple effects throughout eternity. So what? Love those you're with now so that those deeds can reshape and bring about a positive eternity. Maybe you wrote something like, Jesus may not love what I've done, but he loves me. Jesus is unconditional love. That's what I've learned from the Imagine Heaven series. So what? Love the one you're with. Just like Jesus loved you, sometimes you're going to have to love in spite of what they have done because that's how Jesus loved us. That's how God loved us in spite of what we have done. He sent his son to die in our place. It's a challenge that will take the rest of your life. I mean, love the one you're with, but it will be worth it forever. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to live for what you reward in this life? May our life be productive for eternity. May our life create treasure in heaven. May we uh, remember that it's not our awards, it's not our achievements, it's not our accumulations of stuff, it's not our positions that will amount to that much, but it is the love that we show to the person who is in front of us right now. And so, Father, help us to do the greatest things that we can do, the things that will make the most of our lives here on earth. Help us to love you and then to love others, and that will reshape eternity. We thank you for that possibility, and we thank you for the Son in whose name it's possible and in whose name we pray, Jesus, amen. I'd like you to stand. We're going to sing, and um, we're going to sing about the love of God. So would you just thank God for his love and the way he's loved you and ask him to help you pass that love on to the one that you're with?